0: There's clues and indicators as well. So if, you, if you're reading something or listening to somebody give advice and you look at their career arc or lack thereof, that tells a story and gives a clue and an indication of does this person's advice really work? So I'm not going to take cold calling advice from somebody who's had six inside sales jobs in the last four years. That's not an indication to me that they're very good at cold calling and they should probably keep their mouth shut. People need to dig around a little bit, not a ton, but just a real quick hunt and peck like, okay, should I be listening to what Andy has to say? Like, is he actually even moderately successful and good at what he does?
1: Hi friends, welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Well, That was Scott Lees. Scott's an author, podcast host, sales consultant, and much, much more. And in our conversation today, Scott and I talk about his new book, More Than a Number, The Modern VP Sales Playbook. Now, first of all, we get into why CEOs and founders have no idea how to support sales VPs and why VPs of sales are so passive in the face of the unreasonable expectations that are set for them and why they don't push back against them. We also dive into how sales VPs can break this vicious cycle of short job tenures and work to shape and manage the expectations about their performance. We also get into the playbooks that VPs need to develop in order to nurture the development of their team's performance and how VPs can help their sellers become better people in order to become better salespeople. Now, I always enjoy talking with Scott, so we dig into all of this and much, much more. But before we get to Scott, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate if you could leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. So thank you for that. All right, let's jump into it. Scott, welcome back to the show. What's up, Andy? Glad to be back. It's good to have you. Good to have you. So what's uh, what's new in Scott Lee's world? Besides, you're incredibly busy with everything you're doing with your thurs, the Thursday night deals. Your, yeah. You're going to Costa Rica again soon. Yeah in November we're, uh, Richard <coughs> Harris and I are
0: have a couple surf and sales sessions back to back. It's the first time we have ever done any back to back. So we're going to be in November. The uh or, excuse me, we're going to be in Costa Rica the whole month of November. Um and then in October, uh Amy Volos and I are, are taking Thursday night sales on the road and we'll be in Las Vegas October 15th to October 17th for a Thursday night sales live mini conference slash event party thing. So i some got some good stuff coming up. Yeah.
1: Excellent. Gosh, everybody's doing such fun stuff. That's very cool. I like that. Well, you um, know, we've been deprived for a while and so we're just kind of going for it. Yeah. Well, and so not worried about uh, yeah Delta variant popping oh. up and spoiling the fun or? No, absolutely worried about it for sure. Yeah. 100%. Yeah.
0: I mean, I, you know, I'm Immunocompromised and and when I actually yeah. just a couple of days ago got my booster shot because I get I get access oh, to it early. Yeah, yeah. So you know, doing doing all doing all I can, but um, you know, calculated risks. I I, I
1: suppose, yeah. right? So Yeah. I mean, if you're triple vaxxed at this point, then you're probably in pretty good shape. Should hope so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. But I'm tired yeah. of being <laughs> locked inside that's That's what it comes down to yeah, well, actually yeah i'm in my manhattan location uh the month of august basically and and uh, you haven't actually gone inside restaurants deep, but we've been eating outside, which has been nice to actually go out and serve <laughs> be among people again and it's uh i'm sure yeah i haven't yeah. even done I haven't <laughs> even done that see we have we each have our own calculated risks.
0: so if yeah, I'm, well, if, ten I'm ten gonna go, if I'm going to go somewhere, if I'm going to go somewhere, I guess I've decided I'm going to go big. So yeah, you know, well, Costa Rica, yeah.
1: So you yeah. can you're gonna be able to surf, obviously. So yeah, that, you, you know, know.
0: Like, small town and surfing sales is a, is only you know twenty of us at a time, right? So it's not like yeah. a big, huge crowd. And uh, the houses that we rent, um, all the trainings that we do are all outside, anyways. Even before Perfect. COVID, so you know, yeah, it's a it's vax mandatory event, and you know, it, again, it has risks, sure, but um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna go for it and keep our Excellent. fingers crossed that it that it works out.
1: Yeah, that sounds very exciting. So, yeah, one of the things I'm gonna talk with you about is is um, we're not gonna make I said dive as deeply personal as we did the last time you were here, but but you read some things I post on LinkedIn, which I really liked. Um, And there's one you're talking about. Don't be silenced. You remember that one? Don't let the powers that be silence you. Don't let the people you work for silence you. So I'll read the whole thing. Don't be silenced. Don't let the powers that be silence you. Don't let the people you work for silence silence you. Don't let your family silence you. Don't let your partner silence silence you. Hard to string those all together. Uh, You deserve to be heard. And you never know who needs to hear your message at exactly that moment in time? You never know who you may help. So, um, what was the motivation behind that? I think you know, just trying
0: to encourage people to find their own voice and and speak up, and you know, maybe not be taken advantage of or trampled upon or pushed to the side in ways that they maybe have uh, before. Um, some of that has to do with. You know, putting content out there. Um, there's a lot of mm-hmm. companies, like it or not, there's a lot of companies who still try to suppress employee activity uh, on sites like LinkedIn. And they, they think yep. that they yep. own it and control it. And, you know, they'd love for you and I to just post the latest blog that the company wrote or the latest fundraising and, uh, you know, not, not speak up about life as a SDR or life as a VP of sales, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I have a, a really good friend, um, that I won't out right now, but she, I, I hired her years ago and, uh, I thought she was like very unique, unique style, unique personality. And I, and I really like kind of leaned in and encouraged her saying like, you should start producing a lot of content and put it out there. And in the department that you're in and the work that you do, there's not a lot of people and, um, she's like you know fairly influential on 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 linkedin now and i'm super proud of her and i had been having a conversation with her so just like a confluence of those kind of um right. events and coupling that with what i perceive to be a massive shift in the in the power dynamics of the workplace um you know it's sort of like well now is now is a good time as any for you know the people to kind of rise up and
1: and and take their take their power, so to speak. Yeah, and and I think that, as I read that, I mean, I I extended that further because I think that, for me, sales in general seems to be a more oppressive environment than it was 20, 30 years ago when I was getting started, in that sellers seem to have a lot less autonomy about how they operate their, their business as sellers. And so when I was reading that, yeah, I was sort of reading that into it as well.
0: It's is speak yeah. up,
1: speak up. I mean, there's there's not just one way to sell. Yeah, no, that's
0: a very good point and 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 super interesting. I can't I can't proclaim that that was the inspiration behind what I wrote, but it makes a ton of sense. I mean, if you think about um, kind of very restrictive uh, sales scripts, not that there's mm-hmm. anything wrong with sales scripts, but you know. You and I are different. Our lives have yep. been different. Our personalities are different. So the way I might tell a story is going to be a little bit different than the way you tell a story, as it should be. Yep. Um, or the cadences that people run and the emails that mm-hmm. people people send. Um, an email that comes from you that performs really well <clears throat> might read super off brand for me. And people read it and be like, the heck, Scott? What got into Scott? Like that doesn't make any sense, or vice versa, right? Or vice versa, because they're yeah. vice versa, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, I I can see that as as automation has become more and more prevalent, and and people are trying to find different ways to to scale. Um, yeah, you know, some of the, some of the we talk a lot about personalization in our outreach to others, but personalization in what we're allowed to do as sellers. Has has maybe never been more oppressed. I think is the word that you use. Yeah,
1: that's a really it's a really good point. Well, I mean, I think that that there's a initial tendency when you say, "Look, we've got some of these you know automation tools like Ring DNA cells, you know, conversational intelligence that in the wrong hands, it's used to try to make everybody into a clone of some you know mythical top performer." When really the goal is, let's use these tools to help you become the best version of you, which is not going to be the same as the best version of Scott or the best version of me. But, yeah, there's this, we see this tendency, I see the tendency as people just want to, yeah, I just want to cookie cutter this as opposed to let me devote the time as a manager and as a leader to help my people become the best version of themselves and give them agency over the choices they make about how to sell. Yeah. Yeah. People I have so many examples
0: of this. I'm thinking of one right now where somebody was asking me uh, last night on Thursday night sales, actually, somebody was Mm -hmm. asking about, you know, what's like a good creative question in an interview process that I could ask a hiring manager. And I I told a story um, about how when I was at Qualia, I had been there for about two and a half years. And this candidate came in and they said to me, hey, um, I looked at your background. And you always leave right around year three, between two and a half years and three years. You've been here two and a half years so far. Part of the reason I would come work here is so I could work with you and learn from you. And uh, I'm super worried about you leaving. So are you like about to leave? And and (laughs) I was like, holy shit, that's like the best question I think somebody has ever asked me in an interview, right? Put me on the spot and, uh, you know, I told them what my response was and and so I, I I told that that story and this, this person on Thursday Night Sales was like, yeah, I, I tried that question. You told me that or I heard you say that, you know, in a past interview or whatever. And Amy Volas immediately chimed in and she's like, no, that's the problem. Don't ask the same question Scott did or or the candidate did of Scott. Like you're in a totally different scenario, totally different person, totally different situation. Like the point is that story hopefully... Kickstart some creative juices that allows you to right. think of something creative that is meaningful to you or that particular hiring manager, right? right. Um, and and that's you know one of the the goofs that maybe people uh, people make there.
1: Yeah. Well, I gets back to this idea is that again, as as an individual contributor, or individual in any role, and my belief is the the highest level of evolution for you that you can aspire to is to become the best version of you. And so you take your inspiration from other people and you make it, you experiment with it and you make it yours. Right? The thing that's most aligned with who you are as an individual and as a human being, and that will necessarily be different than it will be for other people. And that's okay. But I, I see in the hands of inexperienced managers that this this inclination is sort of being suppressed in the in the name of consistency yeah. and consistency is yeah you know, another word for, for mediocrity
0: and another word for control and and, well, and sure. man- managers are potentially grasping for more control than ever right now as, as they're still adjusting to remote leadership remote onboarding and and, and things like that but you you're right like the way you sell <clears throat> is going to be different than the way i sell like I, I could take what, whatever your perfect like pitches and I could listen to it and hear the tone. And again, if I delivered it that way, it might be just like completely flat. It just might not work. And the way that I sell, you know, might be very different for you and be like, oh, my gosh, this is like super awkward and uncomfortable. I can't make right. it work. But you borrow bits and pieces. From different people, and eventually you come up with your own. It's similar to like the evolution of music. Like you can listen to a band today and you're like, okay, there's elements mm-hmm. of a rock band that you could like, okay, it's obviously rooted in blues. There's, right. There's, 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 a little, blues. there's a little bit of this influence, there's a little bit of that influence, right? But the band is like uniquely their own. And they're they're mm-hmm. really good and they're super successful. They've got hits and whatnot, right? But it's not like Oh this is exactly of Chuck Berry from like nineteen fifty nine right like no it doesn't it
1: doesn't work like that right yeah well, I was having a similar conversation with somebody uh, in a related which will topic I will explore is that he was uh and he's not the only one I've had this conversation with other people sort criticizing things they see on LinkedIn right oh gosh there's such bad advice that's out there and and admittedly from my perspective i see stuff there that all the time that i think well that's never going to work except by accident but maybe it does work for somebody right and you know the the people just they need to read widely and get all these these influences and you know just like listening to a ton of different music if you want to be a musician yeah. and and soak it in and there's going to be good and there's going to be bad and you're going to learn to filter what's what's good from the bad and we don't need to tell you what's good sales advice. Try it. If it doesn't work, do not work for you, then it's not good for you. Well, that, that's the key point right there.
0: Um, and there's clues and indicators as well, right? So if, you, if you're reading something or listening to somebody give advice and, and you look at their career arc or lack thereof, um, that tells a story and gives a clue and an indication mm-hmm. of does this person's advice really work? So I'm not going to take cold calling advice from somebody who's had six inside sales jobs in the last four years. That's not an indication to me that they're very good at cold calling and they should probably Mm -hmm. keep their mouth shut. I'm not going to take (laughs) advice from somebody on scaling sales organizations and being a VP of sales. Who's done it zero times so far. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and, and people need to dig around a little bit, not a ton, but just a real quick hunt and peck. Like, okay, should I be listening to what Andy has to say? Like, is he actually even moderately successful and good at what he does? Okay. He is. So, okay. Now maybe I'll try this. Now, now, now I'll try this. Now I'll try this approach. Now I'll try these tips on, you know, selling, you know, from a human perspective or these tips on like how to build a good podcast and all all these things. Right. Um, And if it works for me, great. And if it doesn't, I'm either doing it wrong and need a little bit more advice and context so I can improve upon it so I can nail Andy's approach. Or after I try that, it still doesn't work. It's just like, that's not me. That's not going to work for me. Uh, And so I can let that one go. Without disparaging Andy, but I can let that approach go and say, hey, that works for him and other people like him. That one doesn't work for me. Now I'll try to align with, you know, Scott. Maybe Scott's approach will work for me. And again, that's why you think you just pluck little pieces, bits and think little bit of influences here and there and everywhere. And the best people, to your point, you know, they ultimately become the best version of, of themselves.
1: Yeah. I mean, I like to say if there's a sale. 3 million B2B sellers in the United States, there's 3 million different unique sales methodologies and personal sales processes that people are using, and that's fine. We should encourage more people to have their own process and to become the best version of themselves. It's fine in so
0: long as the 3 million are all doing well and moderately successful. (laughs) If some of those 3 million are really bad and not
1: succeeding at all, those uh, ones maybe we get, could drop. No, yeah, but I'd say they maybe haven't become the best version of themselves. Fair right? enough. Fair enough. they have so, not there yet. Yeah, yeah. So they need support to do that, which is yeah, yeah another issue. And we'll get into it in a second because we're going to talk about your new book. But uh, one other thing I wanted to talk about another post you'd written about is um, you'd written one about you're going to lose the talent war if you mandate folks back into the office. So uh, tell us about that one. Well, I feel really strongly about this. And,
0: uh, Mm -hmm. you know, whether I'm right or wrong, I suppose remains to be seen, but um, I'm seeing it and witnessing it all day, every day from the front lines. You know, the the advisory work that I do is with early stage startups in particular. So you're Mm -hmm. talking about companies who are playing in the like zero to 50 million ARR kind of range. Okay. I've got employees who are, you know, juggling different opportunities, asking, you know, what do you know about this company? Who should I go interview with? What, what -hmm. should I take? And I've got companies that I work for or who ask me for advice. They're like, how do I secure Andy's talents? What kind of offer do you think I should make? And all this kind of stuff. You can run the math regardless of where you live and figure out like how much you're spending every day by going into the office. You're talking gas money, bridge toll, food that you're eating that's more Mm -hmm. expensive when you're you're eating out, um, wear and tear on your car, you get a flat tire here, you got to change your oil more often, get into a fucking accident, right? And that doesn't even pull into consideration, um, you know, extra time you have. You said you went for a walk this morning before we started recording, okay? Well, I don't know. I'm not going for a walk in the morning if I got to commute somewhere. I'm not an early riser anymore like I used to be. So that's out the window. So my dogs are not getting the exercise. I'm not getting the exercise. It's not happening, right? Um, I'm not home as much to uh, be there for my kids. When they, my kids get home from school, I can't take them to practice. I miss practices. I miss early evening uh, games and events, after school things. Why are people going to give all of that up? Why? Mm-hmm. They've already demonstrated over the last year and a half plus that they can do their job remotely from home and in many cases do it better. I, I, there are so many companies I know of whose growth has gone exponentially through the roof uh, mm-hmm. you know, during COVID. And then you, know, you factor in from the company perspective, like how are you going to hire people only in Austin or only in New York? for these particular roles. You're limiting your talent pool so much, especially like really kind of specialized roles. Like I I hope this doesn't come across the wrong way, but like I get asked to kind of come out of retirement a lot. People are looking for a CRO, VP of sales Mm -hmm. you know, in Austin. And I'm like, no, I don't, you know, I'm not into it. And I do a lot of different math and explanations with them what's going on in my life. And like, well, who else do you know? And I'm like, in Austin or anywhere? Because there's not that many people just in Austin. But if you op- open the, the net that I'm casting up to everywhere, even just everywhere in North America, now it's a lot easier for me to put a lot of people in front of you. So I just think that, that the workforce has more choices and more power than they've ever had before. I think they're, they have recognized it and are standing up for themselves and saying, no, I don't want that kind of life anymore. Mm-hmm. I want to walk my kids to school in the morning. I want to you know take them to practice and go to their games. I don't want to commute back and forth. I don't want to be around a bunch of people. I actually do my best work more in a alone setting. At the very least, I think you can provide people the opportunity to go into an office for those people who want to take that opportunity. But to try to mandate somebody to go back into the office five days a week, I don't see how that's going to fly. We thought we were coming out of the COVID situation. Now you got the Delta variant situation that's ripping through the country and getting vaccinated people sick as well. How can you in good conscience say, hey, Andy, I need you to come to the office five days a week right now? I don't understand Mm. that. I just don't at all. And how long is this going to go on? We we don't know, so I just think it's a massive misstep, and, and and I think more and more people are going to be accustomed and successful and happy in this remote kind of environment. I think companies are just going to lose out on talent. They're they're they really are. They're going to they're not going to be able to pull the A plus kind of talent, and the A plus kind of talent is going to have their pick of the litter. And and those companies that are more progressive uh, with their views on, on this stuff
1: are going to win they're going to win those talent wars. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I, I think, yeah, the future is unknowable, but you know, the flexibility you have as sellers in particular, um, it was always a job that we sort of got into somewhat for the flexibility. Sure. I mean, when I was getting into sales, sort of the, the MO was, well, hey, you know, if you take care of your quota by, uh, <laughs> by Wednesday. Right, yeah, get out of here. Go, get out of here, right? Yeah. Um, and that changed over time, and but it was that type of thing. Is yeah, you know, we bring people into sales thinking, yeah, have you got this flexibility about how to operate this business? Yeah, you know, I I bought into the whole thing when I first joined sales. Is I was the CEO of my territory, right? <laughs> and that was empowering, right? That was motivating to be able to do that and to handle it the way I wanted. Yeah, I had to go into an office, but. Basically, I was in the field most days for a long time, so I had a lot of flexibility there as well. Yeah. So I agree with you. I think sellers sort of get into sales for, in part, for the flexibility. And if you try to take that away, I think that's going to be very problematic. I think I'm interested in your take, though, is because there's been increasing amounts written recently about yeah, are we in danger of creating sort of a two tier system of employees where those that do come into the office more frequently benefit. Because of FaceTime with the people that are making decisions and so on.
0: I mean, we already have multi-tiered systems of employment and preference and privilege. I mean, let's let's, let's be clear about that. So maybe, maybe it's just evolving a little bit. But I think that that's fine. I think that that's fine. I think people, that's part of the decision-making process. You know, if you said to me, hey, if you go into the office five days a week, you have uh, more opportunity to move up into the C-suite. I would gauge that and the benefits of that versus the benefits of me staying remote. And some people will choose to go in, more power to them. Some people will choose to stay remote, more power to them. But the option and the flexibility to have a choice there, I don't know that I have a, a big problem with that. And by the way, that only works if people break the union, so to speak, right? If people cross the picket line. I mean, (laughs) that only works if people actually say, okay, yes, I'm willing to go into the office five days a week because then I can, you know, move up the ranks faster. Will that happen? Maybe. Sure. Probably. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I think it, it will happen Less and less and less. It happens now with satellite offices. How many times have you heard people say, "Well, Andy, if you really want to move up, uh, you can't live in San Diego. You need to move to corporate in San Francisco."
1: Well, yeah, the first company I worked for years yeah. and years ago—that was that was the path. So I don't, I don't, I don't oh. know that it's that much different. And uh, and Course. I think again, corporate, corporate was Detroit though, so it was,
0: it was. it's a little less in yeah. San Francisco perhaps. So, yeah. um, but there you go. So it's no different. Right, you made your choice to not move to Detroit. Some
1: people will make their choice not to go into the office five days a week. Well, I think that's a perfect point, right? Is is regardless of the generation, there's always been choices to make. Is yeah, my father got promoted quite a bit and moved quite a bit early in his career because even with the sacrifices it took with the kids, and I have four kids and <laughs> so on, that's the choice you wanted to make. But he had peers that didn't want to do that. Yeah, and. Yeah, so they didn't, but they—not to say they were less successful or less fulfilled in their careers or whatever—is just a different choice. And I agree with you. I think giving people that choice is again because gets back to this idea of giving people agency in their choices. Yeah,
0: and I and I just I just think, I think that people's eyes have been really opened in the last year and a sure, a half. and and I think more and more people are going to be willing to say no. And and I think that's the that's the change that will force the hand, and, and that's how I see the talent war kind of you know shaping up.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think that that you know you look sort of down the road future of sales. It's like, I mean, do sellers really need to be actually employed by the companies they're selling for? I don't know. Do, do, I also, mean, once you break once you break that bond with the office, it's like, well, so what is the nature of that employment ag- agreement between a seller and a company they're representing? Sure I man the office, and, why do, and also why do I have to work for
0: one company at a time? Well that was the next question what exactly why
1: do I need to work for one co- company at a time?
0: I don't know. what if I could work for ring DNA and outreach four hours a day each, build a pipeline, hit my quota
1: why is that why is that wrong if that was my choice well, I, I don't know yeah I mean I don't think it is. I think that I personally I believe that's the future. Is that for at least for starting at the most top talent that you know, has the most uh, talent in demand or skills in demand? Why wouldn't you want to do that? I mean, as a manager, you're gonna have to change your perspective about, sure. yeah, you know, what this person is doing for you. But if they're producing, yeah, yeah, grow up and get over it. Yeah,
0: and uh, you know, I've, I've thought a lot about some of these kind of weird futuristic things, like like this, like how come they're not. Employment contracts, like they
1: are athletic contracts. Oh, I thought my next career would be as an, an agent for sellers. Yeah, a talent agent. One hundred percent.
0: You know how many people? Uh, you do know because you're, you've thought about this already. But like, you know how many people are terrible at negotiating their own offers and don't know how to everyone don't know how to do it the right <laughs> don't know how to do it the right way, right? Yeah. Would you pay? Would now. you pay? Would you pay a talent agent to help you land a new? sales gig somewhere right and they take a a cut of it but in doing so they got you the best gig they checked all the boxes they got you more money than you'd get on your own is that a possibility i think so if i'm if i'm if i'm going for a cro role why would i take a job that sort of says like hey we could terminate you you know at any time and you have to have have have, at will yeah you have to have a you have a four-year vest on all your options all that kind of stuff why would I take that gig over somebody who says to me, listen, you've been around a long time. I don't I don't need to play games. I know you're not coming here to just like sit on your ass and hide out. We're going to pay you X amount guaranteed for the next two years. And all your, your options, you know, vest in two years, you're not going to fire. We're not going to fire you. you. You know, you're not going to leave. Like this is, this is a contract, like signing an NFL contract or an MLB
1: contract or whatever. Which gig would I take? <laughs> well, first of all, you'd want to be an NBA or Major League Baseball contract yeah, because they're guaranteed. guaranteed. That's, that's As right. opposed to <laughs> NFL, you don't want to that, sign an NFL right. contract. That's that's right. Right. bad example, start with NBA that's and MLB. will, well, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I mean, I think that, that the risk has always been on completely on the part of the employee. That's right. And, Comparatively little on the part of the employer. Yes, there's a risk this person doesn't work out, and so on. Yes. But for the person that that deliver over delivers some value, yeah. You know, if you're a seller for a startup, and I've been in the situation myself, either as a psych individual contributor or even as a VP, and it's like, you know, we just closed this deal that enabled the company to go public, and I just <laughs> I just made the investors and the the founders tens of millions of dollars, and I just get a commission on that. Right. It's like, yeah, we're not paying people for the value that they're actually providing. Yeah. I mean, you said it, you said it, all the risk has always
0: been with the, uh, employee. And I just think that that's going to change. I think it is changing. And I think it's changed a little bit exponentially in the last, you know, 18 months because of, uh, the pandemic. And, and I, for one, I'm here, I'm here for that kind of revolution. And, uh,
1: I hope it keeps going. Well, Maybe well, it keeps going that way. We'll start our agency. So if you're listening to this, and right. You want to be represented? Yeah. Scott and Andy, we're opening our agency. Yeah. Give us a call. Yeah. Scottandandy.com. Perfect. Works for me. <laughs> um, I'm yeah, I'm used to having my name second because I had an older brother Scott. So yeah, you say Scott and Andy, just flows. It's perfect. Um, well, let's talk about your your new book <laughs> in the few minutes we have left. So. Tell us about it. What's it called? And uh, we'll dive into a little the the topic.
0: Yeah, it's it's called More Than a Number, uh, and it came out in June. Um, it's my my third book, and kind of the conclusion to a, a mini trilogy, if you will. My first book was about kind of the mindset and how to get into sales and individual contributor selling philosophy, and my second book was uh, about how to go from sales rep to, to sales manager, and this book, More Than a Number, is all about the, the life and times of a VP of sales, I'm trying to kind of highlight some of the good, bad, and ugly, and talk a little bit about how you get such a role, um, how you become good at it, and what some of those relationships look like uh, up above, and you know, just kind of trying to give people a, a little bit of a playbook and a guide, if you will. Um, because there's not a lot of literature out there specifically right. targeted at uh you know vps um and so I thought yeah. that there was a little bit of a gap in the market there and considering that I've been a VP of sales at early stage startup five times, um, you know felt like I might have a little bit to to contribute and um,
1: try to help out the greater sales community yeah and i think I think as as I was reading it, there was sort of a sort of the counterbalance sort of comes out, too, which is uh, it's okay to be (laughs) an individual contributor as well. (laughs) Not everybody (laughs) should want to be a VP of sales. If you're really successful at what you're doing and you you think, oh, gosh, maybe the next step is jumping into management or senior management, I can't tell you how many friends that I was with and sort of lower levels of management, middle management, that just said, Oh no, God! I just want to be a seller at this point, yeah.
0: um, and that and that's okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. As you know, I I spent you know a decent chunk up front at the beginning of of, of the book, kind of you know trying to get people to ask those questions. Are you sure you want to do that? Here's what it's actually yep. like. Uh, if you are not into this, maybe don't go down this path. If you are into this, okay, this might be the right path for you. And um, yeah, it's it's a it's a big big painful miss. For the person who takes it VP of sales role and and doesn't enjoy it. And it's a big miss for the company that hires somebody uh, who's not a good fit for it, right? So trying to kind of help out
1: both sides a little bit. Right. And I think one of the clear messages early on in the book is, look, sales is a lonely profession and it's sort of you on an island. I mean, yeah, you have teammates and so on, but at the end of the day, you sort of think of yourself as being, I'm the one out there doing this. And the picture you paint, which is absolutely true, is it doesn't get any less lonely yeah. as you scale the heights because as you point out, is yeah, you know, if you're a VP of sales working for a CEO or COO, they're not gonna support you in the way you want to be supported. They have no idea how to do it. Yeah. And on top of which they you know lay these unreasonable expectations on you. And as you point out, is you know, people sort of know, is you know, the average tenure of a VP of sales or CRO is barely more than one complete business cycle.
0: That's right. That's right.
1: And you know, that
0: that is something that I'm hoping we can change. There's a million different ways to try to change it, but you know, awareness is where it should start. Awareness that the role is that tenuous. Awareness of asking yourself the right questions of whether or not this is the right kind of role for you. Awareness of for for a CEO and a founder of how to interview for, you know, their, their VP of sales and make sure the person is set up for it in particular, if it's a stretch VP and you're giving somebody their kind of first, first crack at it. Um, so avoiding some of those mistakes from both sides, uh, you know, would lengthen in, in theory, I think, if I'm any good at math would lengthen the average tenure a little bit. And that's, that's one particular place. Maybe we could move the needle a little bit. So I I wanted to, uh, to touch upon that, you know, and I wanted to provide a little bit of a little bit of guidance for people who are in in the role. It's like, OK, here's the things that I think you should do when you're first getting started. Right. It's like, you know, learn your industry, learn your product inside and out, set up, you know, the sales pitch and the approach, figure out the strategy. What's the go to market? Where are you going to get the leads from? What's our sales process like? What's the competitive landscape look like? What are some of the common objections that we're going to run into? Who is our customer? Who are our prospects? What are, what are their pain points? What do they love about uh, our solution? What do they need from our solution that we don't have yet? All of this kind of stuff. I could go on and on and on. And I just tried to go kind of spell it all out and give a little bit of guidance there. Um, you know, If you know anything about the books that I write and, and my style, I'm, I'm very much like, get in and get out. I'm not trying to write a 1,000-page war and peace novel on how to be a VP of sales, okay?
1: Number one. And you have, you have a quote in the book that says success comes from shrinking the delta between idea and action. So you're, you're doing that with the way you write the book. Yeah, I, I very
0: much try to live that, you know, and try to get in and get out. I, I think of it as like, you're in New York right now, okay? If, if you take like a two-and-a-half-hour flight to Austin to come see me, you should be able to finish the book by the time you get there. That's how I think about it. It should be like a single flight in and out, digest it, download it. And if you wanted to pick it up again, I, I, and I, and I hope when your book comes out for my, for our friendship's sake, that your book is not a thousand pages. And I've just offended you no, it's, I, 120, I, pages. Wait, 120 pages. There you go. So we're, we're, we're kind of similar. I, I just can't do, oh, yeah. I just can't do the thousand page stuff, you know? And, and this is like a primer and a teaser, uh, <clears throat> but there's enough, meat on the bone, I think, to be helpful. And, you know, if people want more, they reach out to me or they reach out to other people they they know
1: and kind of dive into to that stuff. But
0: um, I wanted to provide at least, you know, a resource.
1: Yeah. So let me ask a question. Uh, so we have this issue with tenure, and this is particularly true in the tech business, right? Eight, 18 months. I don't know if it's true outside of, you know, tech or not. But if you're coming in as a VP, like I said, that's, and you're thinking, gosh, I've got A way I want to do this, I got a vision for how I want this to unfold, or you know the processes you want to use, or you know I bring my team in. I've got you really don't have time to do any of that, right? I mean, if if the expectations are are set in such a way that you're going to get bounced in eighteen months if you don't hit these unreasonable expectations, what realistically should a VP, new VP of sales do, or a VP of sales at a new, well, in a new assignment, let's say, not necessarily (laughs) a new company? What, what should they be focused on? What's In your mind, What's what are the priorities? Because you know, that clock is ticking from day one, and the tendency would become, well, not to really disrupt things too yeah. much, but that's also not a winning well, situation. Well, I can't tell
0: if you're playing devil's advocate or you really believe that. So, uh, here, here's <laughs> here's what I think. I think what you just described right. is the absolute trap that so many VP of, VPs fall into, where they look at that ticking clock and they're like, I don't have time to do all this other shit Scott was just talking about. I got to focus on like what we're doing right now to close these deals so I can save my ass. And the irony is when you approach it that way, you actually are more likely to fail and more likely to be out on the street in 18 months. The correct thing oh, to agree. do before you take the gig, the correct thing to do is be very upfront about what your approach is going to be. So, you know, in in particular, I'll focus on early stage companies because that's mm-hmm. the majority of my experience. So if, if, if you're the CEO, of an early stage company. You have like two, three sellers, right? And you t- want to kind of take this to scale. If you're interviewing me, I'm going to be like, listen, the first 90 days, you should expect us to be flat or go down in revenue. I, that's, that's part of my interview process. Part of me mm-hmm. setting expectations. I'm like, what are you talking about? Why would I agree to that? Well, here's why. And I and I described to him all the things that I need to do. I got to learn. I got to seek to understand. I got to recreate a bunch. I got to build. The first 90 days, all I'm going to be able to do is learn and build. And I haven't even been able to start executing yet. Okay. And then I've got a foundation in place. And now we go execute this playbook that we've just built. And, you know, depending on the the deal size and the complexity, what the sales cycle is, you know, if it's a three, if it's a 90 to 120 day sales cycle, like we'll know pretty quick whether this thing is, is at least working. I might not have a million Mm -hmm. deals come in, but I can see things progressing and progress and all that kind of stuff. If it's a longer sales cycle or it's 12 to 18 months, I've got one crack. I got one cycle and it better work. And if it doesn't, I'm gone. But, I'm a big believer in like laying the foundation, building that foundation to scale straight away. That's where you should spend your time. And when, when you get it right, now you're set up to continue forever. Otherwise, you, you're never going to have more time than you do right now. What are you going to do? Show up, ignore building all this stuff and ignore codifying and and turning everything that works for for your sales machine into a system and just chase your tail trying to close deals forever. That's not going to work. You can't do that when you have a dozen sales reps, 25 sales reps, 200 sales reps. That doesn't work. Eventually you have to hit the pause button and say, Oh shit, I got to go build all these things. I got to go build all these systems. I got to get everybody on the same page. You know how much harder it is to do that? When you have 200 people as opposed to three?
1: So my well, let me, I, me ask a question. Go ahead. But well, let me ask a question. So assume that you take over an organization that has a large number of sellers, as you just talked about. And yeah, the pause button does need to be hit because it's just dysfunctional. But you know the board is yeah, pressuring the CEO, you know, they're laying the hammer down on you. How's the VP of sales? How do what's that conversation like with the CEO to say, look, we we need to hit a little bit of a reset here? Well, I think that's the conversation. And I think you don't take the job. If you're the VP of sales, you don't take the
0: job if the the board and the CEO isn't the least bit on the same page as that. Right. I wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. Well, I filter, I, I, I filter, I filter it out. And and I think that my experience at least is like. Founders in the board, they get it. They know that, you know, whatever they were doing is not working or, or they wouldn't have invited you. And the last person who was in the chair would still be there. So they know that some things need to change. Right.
1: Um, yeah. How disruptive,
0: right. how disruptive it's going to be um, depends. You know, I would, if there's 200 people there, I probably don't need to come in like a wrecking ball and just throw everything in the garbage and start from scratch has a lot more nuanced, right? I poke around, I take my time a little bit with how I tweak things, if I tweak certain things at all. If you're going in super early, they don't have nothing. Yeah. They have nothing. And so there's there's no risk at all. So I think if I'm going into a 200 person org, I go in a little bit more delicately, but I fight like hell to set the expectation that, yeah, things are going to be a little flat, maybe even go down a little bit for a while. But then I go in there a little bit more delicately and I learn what's busted and I try to make little change here, a little change there, one at a time rather than maybe ripping off the whole Band-Aid and blowing the whole thing up.
1: Yeah, you. I like the phrase you coined. Uh, so YOLO, it's Yoro. Yeah, you only, <laughs> you only, ramp, ramp. You only ramp once. <laughs> right. <laughs> you better get it right. Yeah, better get it right. But also, to your point, which I 100% agree with, is you need to set the expectations when you're interviewing, and you need to use that time that you're given if you've got that time. And don't be so anxious to become a VP of sales that you're going to just jump into any situation, including those where they're not going to give you the time. That's right. Because why set yourself up for immediate failure? I mean, you might think, you know, it's, it's sort of like uh, when you know, two people get married and one of the partners thinks, well, this person's not perfect, but I can change them. I know I can change them. And it doesn't usually work out very well that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think we've all heard, I think we all know how that goes. <laughs> yeah. So it's a very similar situation. If you think you can change, yeah, that's not going to happen. So yeah. yeah. All right. Well, Scott, well, thank you so much for joining me today. Yes. Yeah, always a lot of fun talking to you, Andy. Appreciate it. So if people want to learn more about the book and connect with you, where should they do that? Uh, all of my books are available
0: on, on Amazon, probably the best place to, to go. And uh, you can find me uh, on LinkedIn of course but also every Thursday night I host Thursday night sales uh, and uh, you can find me at the surf and sales podcast as well as the surf and sales events at surfandsales.com. and uh, I even run events on Tuesdays now I run my own patreon community oh, yeah. and, and do these uh, couple hour long sales and leadership trainings uh, so I'm on I'm on patreon so you can find Scott Lee on on patreon if you're interested in uh, in that oh excellent you're yeah. ubiquitous I'm um, I'm a lot of places. i got my hands in a lot of cookie jars.
1: You do. That's great. Yeah. All right, Scott, a pleasure. All right, Andy. Cheers. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Scott Lees, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for that. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.